You're listening to the Real Estate Radio Hour, the show that brings you unfiltered stories and insight from the Twin Cities real estate world with your hosts, Chris Rooney, broker at REMAX Preferred, and Andy Presky, leader of the Preferred Home Team at REMAX Advantage Plus. Hello, hello. Good morning. Are we live? We're off and running. Impressive, impressive. We're waiting for OJ to show up, <laughs> which is good. Yeah, we got a new little setup here. Got more customization going on. Live with Chris and Andy. The StreamYard is, is nice. I see that. I'm wondering, what do you think? We look better in that caricature than we do in person? Well, let's see. Hold on. I got the. I got a photo we can... You guys look pretty good. Uh, so Andy always got mad. We had that made up, and uh, when he, we, I put him in the Hawaiian shirt, but that's that's just his personality. He doesn't dress like that all the time, just nine months of the year. So otherwise, he has a coat over it. Let's get it started and have Andy hop in here with the, what's happening in the market. Talk we'll about historically yeah. low inventory. Yeah, inventory, I know we're going to talk a little bit about some uh, national stuff, but I think that's pretty prevalent all around uh, the place, and especially here in Minnesota. And we're still seeing it. Um, I'll tell you, a lot of people are using uh, a system, which is a coming soon feature. And what that does is that just alerts people of a feature that is happening, <clears throat> not a feature, but uh, that a listing is coming onto the market. At a, at a certain time and so it allows people to kind of get get it hyped up and uh, and i think that's part of the thing with um the whole inventory is that people are are using that and then all the listings are coming on kind of at the same time which is around a friday and then it begins the whole weekend uh becomes crazy but uh people are waiting i'm working uh and it, it typically kind of uh, flows along with this but i'm working with a lot of people that are working towards getting their homes on the market. And so hopefully that's uh, gonna be a good thing. And it's in that um, next level market. And I think that next level market, which to me is kind of that 600 to 900. And I think a lot of the people that are in the, the I mean, the lower market, which is you know in that three to 450, maybe 500, are waiting for other listings that are supposed to be coming on, you know, that they, they have something to buy because everyone's afraid of that. And for the most part in our, in our market right now that people have been waiting, you know, on new construction. Um, we got some people that have been building that are going to be putting on their houses pretty soon onto the market as well. That's another thing. That's a big change. Uh, in the industry because people used to have to, Hey, I'm going to, I make, I got to make sure it's sold so I can get into the new house, but now they're not so worried about that. And they don't have anywhere to live because there's not a lot of rentals. So it's it's kind of a nasty cycle. And uh, hopefully that cycle kind of uh, opens up a little more when these higher priced homes come onto the market. So I think this is pretty interesting. The, um, the part about the bubble in 07, the height there was 4 million compared to what it is now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to totally. Um, you know, that's that's not a good market uh, for four million on there. But uh, just having a million and just 
probably just a smidge over uh, a month worth of inventory. And what that is, a lot of people don't really understand that. But what inventory means is that if it's a, at, a, at a month or 45 days, that's if no other houses came onto the market, there would not, every house would be sold at that time. So that's by the, the number of houses that are coming off the market that are coming on. If none came back on, every house that was on the market would be sold at that time, which is pretty crazy, you know? And we've talked a lot about, you know, the whole bubble thing. And this that's a big difference from when that bubble was happening to what's happening now. Obviously prices are rising, but the whole bubble, concept was because there was too many listings on the market and when that happens people have choices and when that bubble was hitting and houses were still selling there was a ton of inventory people were uh putting stuff on there and i think it was almost five months worth of inventory uh and then obviously that switched pretty quick and it went up to nine and 12 months uh, which obviously destroys a market and it did so interesting yeah to move on to our value segment well, we gotta, I think we I think we got to stall a little here for Mr. Prasky to show up, and uh, we're trying to get this on on time every weekend. And we always had some audio issues um, that that would pop up. So why don't why don't you talk a little bit about uh, what we're doing here, and um, maybe even this uh, different uh, platform that we're on, and uh, what we're going to be able to do a little better here. Yeah, StreamYard. It's kind of like the best live streaming service pretty much on the market right now. A lot of gaming people that stream games online use it, but we can play around with the banners. We can add graphics, videos, like the intro at the beginning. Um, I think it's going to get exciting, a lot more hands-on, a lot more engaging for uh, the listener and viewer. Yeah. What about Zoom? I think it's, I thought Zoom was the one that uh, was the best thing ever, but I think what we had a lot of problems was is trying to go – um live with it there's a lot of things that you have to do to be able to kind of create it and make it live yeah zoom is way more complicated and like this one we can interrupt each other it's not that uh glitchy zoom is very glitchy it's probably because there's so many people on it but uh, the Streamyard service is is pretty wicked they got a lot of good things going on i think it's the next big wave so i'm glad glad we're on it i was going to ask you though this market right now you've been in the industry for a long time does it remind you of any time period? Nope. There's been nothing, nothing like what we're experiencing right now at all. Um, you know, I, I always historically carried anywhere between 10 and 20, 25 listings at a time. And uh, our inventory is just gone. I mean, it's, it's crazy. You know, we're creating some with uh, new construction and we also have lots um, from developments, but uh individual listings are on the market and off the market probably within five, five, six days. And that's really over every price point. <laughs> so um, it's, it's, it's totally, it's a totally different thing. And I've been saying, I've been saying it since almost 2006, 2007, that uh, I'm not predicting the market anymore because uh, you can't predict it. You don't know what's going to happen. I mean, look at just in, in, in Minnesota alone. You know, we've, we've gone through uh, a pandemic, the start of a pandemic, uh, big time civil unrest and riots, and now we're doing it again. And all the real estate market is, is just going like this. It's still going up. And so, 
I just think, I mean, when when it all comes down to it, if there's not enough houses out there and people are fighting for them, the market's going to remain good and it's, and it's going to just keep keep pushing. Obviously, interest rates have something to do with that. Um, I don't think they're going to, I mean, even if they're, they're shooting up, I mean, we're, I'll tell you what, I mean, I would say over the 30, 31st year uh, of me in the business, uh, interest rates, I would say probably in that six to 7%, they would have been, you know, if I, I looked at the whole thing, we're probably in that six to 7%. And there was rates a lot higher when I first got into it, they were 10 and a half percent, you know, and then they were down to two and a half percent. And so I don't think they're going to, um, wipe them out and make them go super heavy or super up. But I mean, even if they did and they went crazy and they went to four and a half percent, that's still not that bad. I think it will slow down the market, um, but I don't think it'll make it go down, you know, and, and that's, we, we kind of, we need that. We need it to kind of flatten out just a little. And um, from a real estate perspective too, and Andy will, will share this big time is that um, we're, um, Actually, Nick, isn't Andy might be out of town. Oh, he's in Cancun, isn't he? That's right. He's on, he's flying. I'm thinking about him, and I'm like, there's no way he would be this late. So now we're making fun of him. This is too bad. But um, <laughs> he's in Cancun. I'll tell you, that's the other thing. I don't know if everyone else, but I can't believe it's Thursday again. I mean, it just keeps going. I mean, we're in April, for gosh sakes, and it's going to be May. But uh, back to the... Um, it, what's happened in this market, and that is the the facts, is that this market is um, nothing that we've ever seen before, and uh, I don't think I don't think we'll see it again. I think there's a lot of things that have switched in this market, um, how we do business as well. But uh, for the realtors, it's kind of one of those hurry, 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 get it done, breathe for a second, and then hurry, 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 get it done, and breathe for a second. So it's it's just a totally different thing. Uh, to be able to do it because what we're trying to do is we're trying to get these houses on the market and get them on as fast as we can. And when we get them on the market, um, you know, then then they sell rather than maybe in a, in a different market, we might wait for Easter to go bye-bye, you know, and, and forget about, Hey, it's Easter weekend. Forget it. We're not going to put it on. Hey, it's Memorial weekend. You know what? Fourth of July is coming. We'll wait after that. We're not doing that anymore. We're trying to capture the market and all of a sudden in between, six and seven hundred thousand in lakeville there's there's a shortage of stuff let's get it on real quick because we're trying to take advantage of it so what do you think the average homeowner or buyer seller should do in this situation to either capitalize or not get hurt on it should they just wait everything out or should they quick rush to sell i think i think you got to look at it in a couple ways number one if you're selling and buying there's nothing wrong with you're going to sell high you're going to buy high it's the same situation that you're in right now, okay? If you're looking to sell and maybe sit on the sidelines for a couple of years, 100%. You definitely want to uh, be able to do that. Because you got to remember too, you're getting into um, the, you know, if you're buying and selling, you're getting into that next level at a really good rate and that you can probably sit there for a long time and, uh, and grow into that house and use it. And I don't know. I don't know if people are starting to think, too. I mean, even with this the COVID thing, you know, we have 50 variants now. Um, if that is our way of life changing, you know, and do we need things like a, a pool or do we want more acreage or, gosh, if we're going to be in here, I want two offices on the main floor. And that's why remodeling is so heavy right now as well, because people are, are 
stuck, you know, and a lot of people are stuck. There's a lot of people that are like, no, that's it. They didn't happen to me. I'm, I'm, I'm getting out there and I'm living, but there's a lot of people that aren't, aren't doing that. And they're, um, you know, their home is their, uh, where they live. I mean, it's their, it's their bubble. So. Interesting. Well, for the homeowners, let's move into our practical value segment, kind of best homeowner purchases. Hold on. We got to hide this. There we go. So practical value. I got a little article here from Reddit. A listener last week actually recommended uh, us. We check out some subreddits, um, first time home buyers and Reddit real estate, a good community, a lot of information if you want to learn more about real estate. So I found this article kind of about some homeowner purchases that really made a difference. And I know you purchase a lot of things for the for the home, Chris. So I would like to get your thoughts on, on a lot of these. Yeah, what have, what have, what have they said the good ones are? And I'll tell you, a, cur a curved shower curtain. Okay, that that's interesting because that is I, I get that a lot when people go into these bathrooms because what's the one thing, if you're a bigger guy, you go into one of those shower tub combos um, and the you feel like you're just kind of stuck in the in the curtains on you. Those uh, angled ones that go around give you a lot more room and it makes the tub look bigger. And I think it, ha it helps the bathroom. So yeah, I think that's an inexpensive way in which to um, kind of take a smaller space and make it really nice. Could, oh my gosh, people are gonna laugh at this one because I've been talking about it. I bought my big Makita power drill. I went in and um, uh, Stacy Edwards, who works with us, uh, our, our stage designer and also uh, agent, she uh, had this drill at my house and I'd been using it and I'm like, I'm buying my own drill. And so uh, I got all the drill bits and everything like that. I mean, mine was much more uh, expensive than that, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's unbelievable. I'm actually putting stuff together now. It's very interesting. They're still trying to get me to put the snowblower together that I have, but gutter guards, I mean, I don't know. That's... Uh, to me, I'll, I'll tell you about gutter guards. Gutters, you want gutters. But if I was going to sell my house and I was going to choose between gutters and, um, you know, the anything else, I would probably choose anything else because gutters are a luxury in which to have and people can look past those. And so if I'm going to spend $3,000 on gutters, I'd rather spend $3,000 on painting. I've got a couple too that maybe not follow this article and maybe it does. Blackout curtains? No, because the thing is with blackout curtains, you, you might like it, but um, if you're gonna, I'm always kind of from a concept of selling is that we, we want all the um, blinds up. We want natural light and we want all the lights on because the brighter it is, the, the bigger it shows. And I think um, blackout curtains could, you know, be a little, a feature that, hey, that that we have these. But I'll tell you what, Nick, we do a lot of houses. Well, you can see in here, look at this. There's no blinds. There's no, um, there's no curtains. There's nothing, you know, because what it does is curtains and blinds make it look smaller. So a lot of times we'll have those just taken right off. Now, in this case, I just haven't got blinds for this room because there is going to be blinds, but they're going to be you won't be able to see them. They'll be inconspicuous and sit way up, but we won't have curtains. I've got a couple um, purchases. You're, I think you're uh, making fun of me because I'm, you know, we moved into this house and I, I'm starting to buy stuff. And a big thing about me is I'm really into these appliances. And 
I have all the, I have the pizza ovens, I have the air fryers, I have all the panini makers, all of that stuff. And I ended up buying a microwave that actually puts um, a couple of those things into one. And if you haven't used an air fryer, you better start because this, this microwave has that in there as well, rather than just a separate one. But those air fryers, I think are absolutely fantastic. And then what are you doing by eliminating a bunch of appliances? You'll be able to get create space. And so the more space that you can create and, and tag on and, and get more of those, because um, some of those aren't so great. I, I have to say that. So some of these appliances that you can, you know, you can basically drive it to the store. You can cook a steak on top of it and, you know, freeze uh, your hamburger in it. You know, those you typically don't work too much uh, <laughs> over. So the ones that um, are, are, they cost a little more money, but they actually do work. So I think that's one. Um, open shelving is another uh, big one that um, can save you money, but it also makes you uh, the space look a lot bigger and it kind of brings it into 2021. And so we're doing a lot of open shelving where we're coming in and um, say if you have box cabinets and what box cabinets are, are cabinets that have all, um, that they bring in individually and put them all together. So it's not like a big bank of cabinets like you would get with a custom one, it's individual ones. Well, if we have that, sometimes we'll take out like maybe two of them next to the sink eliminate those and then put in shelves next to them and uh it just really opens up the kitchen and you still have your you know your daily plates and it's a quick grab kind of thing and it's how people live so that's good and um the other thing that i'm really on and i think it just makes such a monster difference and it's not very expensive is solar lighting outside so landscape lighting and lighten up your your property is I mean, it could show really good. And I'll tell you, the other thing is nothing like a twilight photo to be able to kind of give value to your house. And if it looks and it's bright, you can see all these lights and uh, that, that really helps the sale of your house. A great one I remember are those um, plug-in lights at night that kind of light up so you can see yourself walk in like to the bathroom. Those are really nice, aren't they? What are those called? Like the night lights in your house? within your house. Yeah. And you know, and things like that, that those, those are nice, but typically you never get to see those when you're um, purchasing because you're not looking at the house when all the lights are off, but um, you can certainly create photos that, that show that, and then that gives value. And so those are kind of those intrinsic things that are like, Oh my gosh, remember that one that at night, I mean, they had the uh, hall lights and they automatically turned on. And it was, I mean, it lit up and oh my, Susie would be great when she comes running to our room, you know, she doesn't trip over stuff. So those are kind of that intrinsic value thing. Um, the, the shower type deals, you know, the, the rain shower and then this thermostatic shower valve. I mean, you can play around with a lot of that stuff to make a cool bathroom, can you? With lights too? Yeah, um, yeah, I think, um, you know, some of that stuff can be overkill and some of it, you, you also have to watch out for what you are able to um, do. And most people aren't able to do that. You know, if I go into a house, I mean, I took, I had to have a guy come over and teach me how to get the, the app on my phone so I can kind of control some of the lights, you know, super cool thing, but it's kind of like the remote control for a TV. And I mean, just give me something that switches the channels and makes it all work. So the, the more practical you can get, 
the better it is. But if you can throw some features in there that people can feel like, hey, I can work it. We've done that a lot with our model homes now. You know, we used to put in $100,000 systems and people don't want them and they don't need them because they can't they can't figure them out. They just want it simple. Well, so, and they um, go obsolete in a couple of years, the new technology. Right. Exactly. And with everything being wireless, too, um, people are still are trying to kind of put the speakers in. But uh, because like a Sonos app, you know, you can't have wireless unless you use their all of their materials. And so sometimes and that's it's not inexpensive. So if you put in the other speakers that are maybe a hundred dollars a piece, you know, you can still play your app through all that stuff. Okay. Good. Let's uh, move on to that next segment, the Rooney's Rant. I got it. Right. Look at this, plugged in nice and good. Still do. That totally reminds me of a, a wild game. I don't know if it was the wild or the North Stars, but I love that. I love that music. Okay, my rant is uh, in regards to appraisers. It's not about appraisers. It's uh, what people believe that appraisers do. And everybody assumes that the appraisers uh, create the market value. They're the ones that tell you what the house is worth. And that is false, total false statement. And what the, the facts are is that what a buyer's willing to sell for and a or what a seller's willing to sell for and a buyer's willing to pay is what market value is, okay? Then you enter in if you need to finance that house. If you need to finance that house, that appraiser is going to determine the market value for the bank, okay? So in a market like we're in right now, people try to use this whole appraisal thing to be able to get out of deals or try to renegotiate. And the fact is, is that appraisals have to be based on things that have sold not things that are selling right now and haven't closed but things that have sold now they're starting to use some of these uh other comps as some justification that the market's changing but um it's really interesting to see um where the where the prices have gone and it's 100 not a problem that hey this is going to sell my neighbors three of them just sold in the same exact thing and i've got it now mine's closing sooner those other ones aren't closing yet and we can't use them but we know every one of them were uh on the same price so they all went over full price and we're getting exactly what they just listed at but ours is not uh appraising and so that's that's been a that's been a problem but people trying to use that um buyers and uh lenders and agents trying to use the appraisal or appraisers to justify what the value of a home is and it's just not true it is not it, they do not determine that what it is and sometimes um i remember andy and i were talking about this and we had an appraiser call in and they said that well we can't use that cash deal you know, because so let's just say someone bought one and we have it here on the lake a lot that um, all of a sudden they bought something for $2.7 million and they paid cash for it. They're saying, well, that's not real because it's cash and it wasn't finance. So we can't really use that for value. And I was like, what? I mean, that's that that's what it's sold for. And it's not like, you know, and sometimes, hey, if you pay cash, you might even get a little discount, but that they weren't using that. And that's that's a a frustrating thing. I know the appraisers are doing the best they can and they're trying and, and knock on wood. We haven't had uh, issues on it, but uh, we've been seeing them around and you hear about uh, prices and, and we get it where uh, a buyer loses out on a deal. Okay. 
and say we we had that deal for that person and we offered let's just say the sale price was three hundred thousand we went three hundred and thirty and we lost all of a sudden we that thing ends up showing up as a sold listing and it says three twenty five and the my buyers like what the heck happened I mean we were higher why, why didn't that happen well it turns out that the appraisal didn't come in and that other person was like twenty thousand higher but the appraisal came in low they didn't protect themselves on that appraisal or know what the uh, buyer was able to do whether it's bring extra money and or um, kind of rearrange their loan to make it work and they seller ended up selling for the 325 so um it's a it's it's a problem out there and uh that's my rant did i sound like i was ranting Nick? yeah it was good yeah it was very good i don't have much to add to that but I think we can have you take over Andy's too. Andy's analogy. Oh boy, I, I you're he's, he's the analogy guy. All right, let's do it. Oh boy, I always wanted to be Andy. So what's his analogy? Indecisive buyers. Yep. Is that what we're talking about? Okay. He he would be much much better at this. Um, because uh, I think the one thing is with indecisive uh, buyers in this market, it it becomes um, a time thing. And time is uh, very important now for other agents and other buyers. And so typically, we're not just working with one person. You know, there's some agents that are, and that's all they have. But uh, a lot of times, we're working with multiple people. And this is a fast and furious market, and we have to go. And we have to we have to get out there and look at stuff. And uh, if we're spending most of our time with people that can't make a decision on what they want and or not putting themselves in the position to be able to make a decision, I mean, there's that that's a problem, and that's something that has to be uh, discussed and, and talked about because you it's not even it's not good for them, it's not good for you, it's not good for them um, to do it. But if there's uh, Hey, an expectation, because um, here's what happens, Nick, is that all these coming soon listings, you know, come on and any new ones that happen that we have to go in and get a showing set up right away. Otherwise, we don't get it. And that's what everyone thinks. But it might be the show. They, most people, not all, but most people put it in on a Thursday or Friday and then they don't look at uh, offers until mon Sunday or Monday. And so we've got like four days, but everyone wants to go that first day. And we have to get in that first day and we have to be able to get in there and we've got to go. And then you do that for every single listing. You, all you're doing is reacting rather than kind of planning and saying, you know what, it's not going to make a difference if you're getting in, you know, Friday at 9 a.m. or Saturday at 4 p.m. And those indecisive buyers are the typically the ones that want to get in immediately and then not make a decision. And so I always another way in which to kind of get around indecisive buyers is have them drive past it first. You know, uh, what, what, what is shown on the internet and what is in real life are two different things. And so that's the photos of a house. That's why you have to go get into it. But you might be able to knock it out just based on driving through the neighborhood and saying, you know what, I don't like that, that neighborhood. That neighborhood's not going to work for me. And um, like this truck right in the background, slowly stalking me. But uh, uh, the, uh, so that might help um, when you kind of are dealing with, uh, an indecisive buyer and trying to get them to kind of move, but it doesn't help. You're not helping a, a buyer 
by letting them be indecisive. If they want to take their time, there's nothing wrong with that. Hey, I don't care. I just had a, a call. Um, sorry, it was Zoom. A Zoom call uh, with a couple in Chicago. And uh, that's what I told them. I said, hey, whether you want to buy a house in a week or in five years, it doesn't, it doesn't matter to me. We'll go as fast or as slow as that you want to, but let's get on the same page in what you want. You know, and so then we talked about it. And then, so those are things that I can now bring back to them as we're going through the process that hey, we're, we're willing to buy a house within a week. We would like to prefer not to stay our par at our parents past this time. You know, so that kind of gives me a guide in how to be able to help them. And I think sometimes too, indecisive buyers, we can blame the realtors big time because they're not educating them on what's happening out there and what the process is. And uh, if that's anything I could say to an agent is educate your clients before you go live, whether it's buying or whether it's selling, because it'll cause you many less headaches if, if you're able to do that. What about the clients that are the know-it-alls or they're experts and they kind of question you and question your decisions? How do you deal with them? <clears throat> uh, it, I mean, it, Real estate to me is a big psychological thing. Uh, a lot of times we're a psychiatrist uh, and, and trying to read through people or a psychologist as well. And I think you have to kind of go with what each individual is, but I'll give you an example of, you know, the so-called know-it-all knows everything about it because his brother and his sister and his parents, his parents is a, a remodeler and his brother and sister bought a house. And so they know absolutely everything. We deal with that a lot from a seller standpoint, the neighbors. The neighbors are amazing. They know every value, it's crazy. How they think your house is worth way more than you listed it for, you know? No kidding, they want their your house to sell for a lot, so theirs is worth more. But from a buyer's side, it's the same thing. And when they do that, you know, you have to kind of just find your moment to be able to interject and, and really show them. But I don't disagree with them. I just say that, yeah, you know what? That's a great point. But have you ever thought about this, this part? And it's kind of one of those things that, let's just say that, you know, this is this is way overpriced. I mean, this, this house is overpriced. And I'll say, okay, but let's think about it. Okay, so I agree. It, it, in the beginning, it kind of looks like it, but remember that last one we were at? It didn't have the new siding. You know, this roof is only two years old and that was 12 years old. You know, if we don't get a little storm, you know, you're gonna have to replace that roof. And so if we start adding that up, that might be $30,000, $35,000. I mean, just to redo that kitchen and reface it, it might be fifteen. dollars So I don't know. Maybe this is um, a price that is a little better. What do you think? You know, and then you just kind of play in with them and let them um, become the one that is the – you let them believe that they are the expert and uh, you just kind of – you got to flip it around with them or take it away from them. Because a lot of times they're saying that is they really want it. And now just take away, you know what, you're right. I, I, I wouldn't buy this house either. I don't think, well, hold on a minute. You know, they do have a really nice backyard. Yeah, there's no question about that, but the, that kitchen that kitchen is not, you know, that needs help. And then they start, well, what if I did this to it? You know, so it is, there's a lot of psychology to it. And I that's happened before. And it's almost funny where they start having to convince me that this house is good enough for them to buy. So. What's the best best uh, client? What's their characteristics, their personality? The informed, best an informed client that understands and that's willing to listen. Um, not a pushover, not at all. You don't want a pushover uh, that's doing it, but that understands what's happening in the marketplace and what they have to do to be uh, competitive. 
in it. I just did a market analysis the other day for a seller and he was basically saying, hey, I'll do whatever I have to do to be able to kind of make this uh, work. And it's like, all right, well, that might be a little too far. You know, we don't have to do absolutely everything, but you're what, I, what, I'm, what I'm hearing from you is that you're willing to do what you've got to do to be able to make this a very sellable house and maximize your investment. And he's like, yes, that's exactly what it is. And I say, we don't, contrary to what everyone thinks, we don't as the realtor come in and say, yeah, we'll do this, do this, do that, I'll do all of this, make it absolutely perfect, and then we'll price it 20,000 under price. We don't do that. We try to look at the whole thing, some might, I don't, but we look at the whole property. So people, when I start walking around a property, they start saying, well, should we replace this? And I said, you know what? I need to see the whole thing first. And once I see the whole thing, I'll have the whole picture and then I can tell you uh, if we should or not. So if you have, you know, junky carpet on the main floor, but it's junky upstairs and then it's dated, you know, I might be like, you know what? We might just want to clean this or gosh, we're going to have to do all the carpets, not just this one. And then if we do all the carpets, then we're going to have to do that kitchen. But if we don't do this and that and this and this, maybe we just need to clean and we need to declutter and then we'll make the most money out of it. So um, that's that's why I always say um, Real Estate 101, Google 101, you know, it tells you some, in some of these articles, it tells you exactly what you have to do, you know, and that's anyone can do that. I mean, go on the thing. How do I stage my house for sale? It'll tell you everything to do and you'll probably do too, half of it's too much. So that's why you need someone that knows what's selling. That's the other part. You've got to know what's happening in the marketplace to be able to tell a potential seller that you can do that. So I switched from indecisive buyers to uh, sellers. I'm sorry about that. Beautiful. My favorite segment, the one that I can um, help out with little design architect inspiration from around the world. This week, we got some Scandinavian minimalism up in uh, the north of Copenhagen, a kitchen. We have a door in Krakow, Poland, a very detailed door in medieval Krakow. And then um, some interior design of a church in Calgary, Sardinia in Italy. That is wicked. So Why don't first, you give a little back, a uh, little um, backdrop to this, Nick, too, that these are these are places that these are photos that you've taken. And you visited yeah. all these places. Yeah, yeah, they're all photos I've taken. Um, I used to live in Copenhagen. This is taken at my my friend's um, house last summer. The one in Krakow. I was in Krakow last fall. That's in uh, Poland. I took that. And then uh, Sardinia in the summer. I was there. Sardinia is an island off the coast of Italy, the big island. It's beautiful. So let's start off with the, the Scandinavian minimalism because that's quite popular. I see it a lot in American houses. Yeah. It's that it's interesting. Um, that's I think those counter those uh, cabinet heights were they higher as well, Nick? See how they put that uh, little base down at the bottom and then put the cabinets up. Yeah, uh, yeah. we yeah we had someone in Minnetonka, one of our neighbors, that's almost the exact same kitchen, uh, very clean lines, um, open, and uh, it's it's interesting because it's just like whoa. I mean these these are higher. But after you start using them, you're like, well, that that actually kind of makes sense in, in what they're doing. So um, I think that's the one thing you're finding um, over there. And it's the same concept here, but we call it like the not so big house or the tiny house. And uh, by doing that, it um, I don't know, it you can you, you can have less spaces. Now, to me, that 
actually kitchen seems pretty big for over there. Is it not? Yes, that is a <laughs> kitchen. I mean, this is a home too. A lot of people live in apartments in Europe. This is a home in the north of Copenhagen. It's uh, one level, kind of a bigger yard. Everything's really open. Um, and it's just really well designed. I mean, everything kind of works and functions properly. Like these cabinets kind of, they release and there's extra things in them. I mean, it's it's pretty unique. I think what's interesting is that in America, what one thing on here would never ever happen and they had to do it, but those cabinets each go to the wall. They would totally take advantage of that window at the end and have a sink on, on that end, but you'd lose a ton of space. Now your oven, you'd lose a bunch of counter space because you'd have to flip the oven down more to be able to have a cabinet along the back just so you can get a, a sink on there. So that's, uh, it's, it's very unusual to be able to uh, have a peninsula like that without it connecting to the other side. Um, why did uh, the, the Scandinavian minimalism become so popular in um, America, do you think? Was it always like that? I mean, re the kitchens? I think, Nick, no. I think what happened is I think people wanted nicer stuff, but they couldn't afford it all. And so they wanted to put it in smaller spaces. And I think uh, the downtown kind of living, the Minneapolis suburb stuff, um, is a is a big part of that where they could get all this cool stuff, but they didn't need all that room. Then once they started having kids and getting more stuff, I mean, America is about having stuff and lots of stuff and store stuff and whatever that they started moving out to the suburbs. But I think they also took some of that with them to the suburbs. And um, you know, it's it's like building houses right now. People, you know, there are some that are building seven, eight thousand square foot homes, but there's a lot of people that are um, fitting it just really nice stuff into less space so they can afford that other stuff. And, you know, I mean, appliances alone, you can spend 40 to $60,000, you know, in a lot of uh, beginner homes, you know, you get an $8,000 allowance and that's good. That's a really good allowance. And now you're spending 60,000 on it. I mean, you gotta cut out something, you know, you gotta, you gotta make that house a little smaller, so. Hey, this next one is in, in Krakow, Poland. I think um, you've talked about doors a lot, like well-made, pretty doors. I mean, this one is, this is like medieval, but how detailed it is. And I'm thinking, can anyone add something like this to their home or would it be, you know, too crazy? Let's see it. Oh, geez. Um, yeah, I think, uh, you know what I think that could be really cool for is within your home. You know, like, so it's maybe into your office from a lower bar area that you made look like a pub table. But I'll tell you why, Nick, that that doesn't happen and why it probably happens in Poland, but it doesn't happen here. Dineros, mula, peso, uh, what is it? Euros, dollars, very expensive door right there. And you'd almost have to have it on... Um, uh, I mean, the architecture would have to mat match that door as well. But I think you could really pull something off like that within the home and have it a, a themed area. But I think what, Nick, and you tell me this, because uh, you know um, spending and cost in Poland, I mean, that that door is probably going to be what percentage of American dollars? I mean, what you you said you could live over there for how much? Yeah, Poland's super cheap. They probably make $800 a month on average. Yeah. Their salary is $800. I mean, this door is super old, too. So, I mean, maybe back in the day before World War II, there was some more money in Poland. But, yeah, I mean, Poland is very, very um, inexpensive. That door here, Nick, would be twenty, twenty-five thousand 25000 all day long. 
Yeah, I mean, I bet I could say. I mean, Put on a house. I would. This is just a total rough guess, but say like five hundred dollars maybe in Poland. I mean, things are cheap. Well, just think about it. If you had one guy working on that for a month, making that happen, I mean, that's eight hundred bucks. Throw some profit in there. It's a, even if it's a thousand dollars. I mean, versus twenty five thousand, it's crazy. And there's a lot of people that have these techniques too from the ancestors that they've learned from, like the masons and the architectures, and that's what they do. So, look at that. Look at the bottom part, Nick. How it doesn't see those two little um, corbels? How they're off, or maybe something just busted on the right side of one. Um, but other oh, yeah, than that, yeah. other than that, the yeah. details. Yeah, right there. But other than that, the details are are crazy. I love these little heads. Can you imagine how heavy that is? Hey, are those heads from the Tower of London? That's a creepy thing. I was in that one church where they used to behead people and then buried them under that church. But anyways, that's another story. We're talking real stuff. This, this one's pretty wicked. I mean, this is like a lot of these cathedrals in Italy, just the, the interior design is the different, you know, marbles and, and um, materials they use. I would love if you could do this somewhere in a home in America. <laughs> uh, boy, I had one listed in um, outside of Minatrista, and this guy was a craftsman that did a lot of stuff like this. And I mean, it was totally ornate and just crazy. We couldn't sell the thing. You know, it was almost it was almost too much um, to be able to do. But it's just it's again it's a cost it's a cost thing and you have to have a monster area to be able to make that thing work otherwise it'll feel like a, a cave or a cavern yeah this is just one little side of the thing it was the yeah. whole the whole roof was like that as you can see in the top right it was a big stairway and then all around you know you get these cool designs and super <laughs> intricate and this wasn't even like a super famous church in the, that one city. I mean, this is one of the 30 churches. But some of those churches, I mean, took hundreds of years to build oh. and create. Yeah, so very interesting. I mean, it's like, I mean, people would work lifetimes on those and never finish them. Never get to see the finished product. Yeah, never, yeah, never see it, which is quite interesting. How about this? Like me working on one sale. That's what Andy does. One sale, and he still not get it through. What? This railing, though, I think that's like some sort of weird marble. I mean, that'd be kind of cool to have. That'd be tough to replace those railings if they got damaged. So. Shipped in marble from like Egypt or something. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Pretty cool. I think it's kind of neat to be able to see kind of the other parts of the world, too, that we're, um, we're not seeing and, and what's big over there. I just had um, a couple from Australia move to um, Minnesota. And it was unreal, the difference. I mean, totally speak English, no problem. Could totally communicate. But how real estate worked was almost like it's the opposite of what happens here. And so explaining that and trying to get them to understand, very smart people, brilliant people. But when you go and you everything's the opposite and the words mean the opposite. So, I mean, like a closing, what's a closing? When do we, what's a close mean? Oh, that's, um, that's. I can't remember, but they call it, there's a settlement date or a, a, a date that they basically do all the work up front. The bank comes in, they kind of agree to a price. The bank comes in and says, yes, we'll do it. And then they sign the contract. 
Okay, we do the complete opposite. We come to an agreement, we make it contingent upon financing, then we end up closing. Once they have this contract, it's done. It's a done deal, it closes or it settles in, in six weeks and the money's done. It, it, the bank has already set it and it's over. And so it's a, it's a done, done deal, which is uh, really kind of interesting, but it's so the, just a totally different thing. What's interesting to me is I see Remaxes everywhere I go. They're everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, Small I know. cities in the middle of nowhere, Mexico. I mean, there's yeah. a ton of Remaxes out there, which is pretty, and they all have the same uh, marketing and, and, and it's really similar. So that's interesting. Yeah, you got this, you kind of got the same brand for sure. So I'm trying to switch my, my signage up and uh, do kind of um, some different colors and I'm being re resisted very hard. They said, you know, 110,000 other agents can't do it, but why do you think you should? Um, so that's a good point, but let's see. So, is that how many are in Remax? Like 110,000 uh, in the world? I think that's what it is. Yeah. Okay, as we wrap up this this recording, we got the, our listener questions. I would love if people commented questions because we can, you know, pop them up here now. But uh, we have this one that was sent into us. Then people would have to listen first, Nick. What's up? They'd have to listen first to be able to put a question. Okay. No. Anyways, <laughs> here's the one question we got from last week. A pretty long one, but it's for people at like my age, kind of getting priced out in the market. I'll read it. I have been saving money for a decent down payment for a year now, and it seems like the rate I'm saving is being outpaced by the market. I'm being priced out of the market, and I can't rationalize overextending my buying power to buy something halfway decent. I know timing the market is a fool's errand, but I don't know what other choices I have but to continue to rent and save money. I feel so hopeless and frustrated because I've been responsible and diligent with my saving and spending. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, we're seeing that with a lot of people that it's happening to. And it and it does. Um, the, the one I think saving grace is for people is that they don't shouldn't look at it like, hey, uh, poor me. They should look at it like, you know what, these interest rates are at historic lows. I'm going to be able to get in. I can purchase more, and my payment's going to be um, somewhat the same as it would have been, you know, two years ago. I think the the problem is is when someone's trying to save um, all their pennies to be able to do a down payment, um, they're usually they're they're getting shut out more because of their financing ability than whether or not they can pay for it. And what I mean by that is that people that are selling houses now want that financing as for certain as possible. So cash is big. And then the more money down you have, the the likelihood it's going to get approved a lot faster and there's not going to be a problem with appraisal. So if you don't have a lot of money to put down, people are losing out on, on the deals, which is really quite sad because all they can do is try to pay more than the other people. Then when you pay more, you're going to probably have a problem with the appraisal. And then your down payment doesn't match what your uh, loan amount is. And so that's where these people are having that problem. And so do you rent and sit on the sideline? I mean, you got to decide that, um, you know, what, what's best for you. But it's it's not an easy market. Or you got to look at it a different way, too. Look at stuff that, uh, you know, you might have to move out a little further. Just had a guy um, that was that exactly the thing was happening to him. We ended up in Green Isle and building a house in Green Isle and getting a great house for two hundred and seventy thousand dollars. 
Does he want to be in Green Isle? Probably not. He would have rather been in Chanhassen, but that house in Chanhassen is 450. So um, that was what they were doing and, and they justified it. So you might just have to kind of adjust what, what you're thinking and where you go. I see a lot of that in the, the subreddits because a lot of more younger people, millennials, that feel like they've been screwed by the, the boomers or the older people in, in this crazy market. But yeah, you just got to adjust to it and and do your best options. If someone was to keep renting and waiting, I mean, like he, the person talked about um, timing the market. Do you, you right. think that's ever a good idea in real estate? Maybe not in the stock market, but can you? Good time luck. Huh? Good luck. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I just, uh, I thought I just killed it on our house in Minnetonka. That I got a great deal on it and they were going to close and let me stay there for nine months. There's a house that is across the street, not even close to the view, not even an uh, inkling of the inside of my house. It was a two story that it went on the market for 750000 and rumor has it it sold for almost a million dollars. Mine didn't sell for that, and it, mine would have sold for well, well over that price um, based on that. But that's just a case of, you know, who knows? You know, you don't, you just don't know. And so you, you just got to take it. And I, I was happy as heck with it. And so that's what you have to do. You just got to be happy with what it is and make your decision. You got to go for it. I like it. Well, I hope uh, Andy's in, enjoying that good Cancun weather. Yeah. I think he yeah, felt, he, he is. I was it's there. a lot for him to not be on here too. He he loves doing this, and uh, for him not to be on, I, I think it was good that we were pretending he was going to be on because I don't think I've ever seen him not on or call in. I mean, that was a lot of years that we did it together. So uh, I think this is good. Awesome. Well, until next time. Hey, make sure to listen. You know, if you want to listen on the um, podcast platform, Spotify, iTunes, iHeart. We're on the Anchor, which broadcasts it to pretty much any platform you can listen to. If you want to see the, the video version, go to the Facebook page like you are on right now. And we do clips each week, too. So you can get if you can't watch the whole thing, check out a couple of the clips. Great. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for joining us this week on the Real Estate Radio Hour. Don't forget to visit our website, realestateradiohour.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast listening app. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or sharing us with a friend. Until next time, stay awesome, Twin Cities.